Today we are continuing our journey into the book uh, of Luke. Uh, last week we looked at the story of the Good Samaritan, and I hope uh, that story was haunting you uh, this past week. Uh, we looked uh, at three different characters, if you will, or three different questions uh, that we were uh, called to wrestle with as we looked at the scripture. The first one was, what is the least I can do to inherit the kingdom of God? Uh, that was the question that the Pharisee, the teacher of the law, was asking. What is the least I can do to get eternal life? The second question that we um, wrestled with and try to reflect on is, were we like the robbers who said, what is yours is mine? You know, and did things to hurt others. The second question was the question that the Levites um, and the priest put forth for us. What is mine is mine. And they kept walking. I find myself more and more with the Levite and the priest when I come across a thing of need. I like to say what is mine is mine. I'm good with it. And I keep walking. And the challenge for us was a Samaritan who looked at the victim who was beaten up, thrown down, left half dead. He looked at him and he said, what is yours is mine. What is mine is yours, is what he said, what the Good Samaritan said. And I hope that you have found your neighbor uh, and you have showed mercy and compassion, much like the Good Samaritan. For in showing mercy and love to our neighbors, we fulfill what God has taught us by loving God and neighbor. I hope we continue to wrestle with that story as we move. But today begins the second Sunday of Advent. Uh, this is, um, in Jesus, um, in this second Sunday of Advent, we become aware that Jesus is moving towards the cross. Uh, chapter 13 reminds us that Jesus is intentionally walking towards the cross. He is heading towards the cross. And then he ends up with a conversation with a bunch of Pharisees. And then we're going to end with that. But I want you to know that Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem, meaning he's heading towards the cross. One of the, one of the things uh, that my kids do best is they keep me humble. They keep me humble every time I'm about to think that I'm very proud of something that they have done. They find a way to cut me down to my core and remind me I'm not that great of a parent. And here's another parenting story for you. Um, we have allowed our kids to play an online game called The Imposter. You all familiar with this? Nobody? None of you there? Reed family? You all need to play Imposter. Somebody's laughing there. Christian, you played Imposter before? Oh, come on. You're pointing fingers now. All right. Okay. Anyway, imposter. For those of you who grew up in the youth group, it's kind of like mafia. Do you remember mafia? Come on, church. Nobody? Oh, two people. All right. Okay. Mafia is essentially this. A bunch of people got together, sat in a circle, and you all drew uh, a character from the bag in front of you. There were different chits, the uh, slips that were there. Like, you know, one was a, a town person and something else, a policeman, a doctor, and then there was mafia. And essentially, mafia, you were supposed to kill those that are in the circle. That's essentially what you needed to do. So 
And then once the person is dead, they call for a meeting and everybody has to say why they're not the mafia and pretend like they didn't kill anybody. So there's always a mafia and it kind of finds out as to if you're good about your judgment to find out who truly is the mafia. And yes, my six-year-old plays this game. So now you all can judge me. So there you go. Yeah, he likes to. Um, so anyway, so that's essentially it. Like, so all our family plays together with their cousins and everybody else. And one person who has been really, really good at this game was this guy. That's my youngest. <laughs> that's Josiah. Just look at that face. So innocent. So cute. He's the first one to come and give you a hug. You know, after a long days of work, he's the first one to tell you all about what he learned at school. Just look at that face, right? And he, when he plays mafia, he is brutal. He kills everybody in his sight. And he, and then when the discussion is taking place among his siblings and, his, and everybody else, he says to them, look at me, would I ever do that? Right? And everybody falls for that like every single time. Just look at that face, right? Like we have a certain picture as to who does what, right? We think sometimes the loudest person in that group might be the mafia, right? The loudest person or somebody who's really, really angry might be the mafia. But faces like this can be the mafia as well. You know, we have a certain perception of who a certain person is, and we've kind of boxed them into that perception, if you will. And this morning, I want to say to you that in some ways that we have boxed Jesus to be somebody that he is not. See, if this was not uh, post or pre or... <laughs> midst of COVID land, I would have all given you out a piece of paper and a pencil, and, have, and I would have asked you to draw a picture of Jesus. And how many of you would have drawn a picture of Jesus with a smile on his face? All right, one, two, three, four, five. How many of you would have drawn a picture of Jesus with a bunch of kids around him? Right? How many of you would have drawn a picture of Jesus, you know, giving some bread out to those who are in need? Right? Like that's the image of Jesus that we always carry with us. We carry the image of Jesus as one who cares, who's loving, and who's kind to them. And this is something that we teach uh, our kids as well in Sunday school. I remember uh, one Sunday I was talking to Annika, uh, and, and, she, and I was like talking to her about what she learned about Jesus. And she said, Dad, guess what Jesus did? He healed a man who had a lot of boo-boos on his body. Jesus cleansed the leper, right? Like that's the image of we constantly portray who Jesus is, that Jesus is kind and loving. Jesus is the one that is always has a smile on his face. That is who Jesus is for us. But this morning, I want to portray a different kind of Jesus to you. I want you to hear these words. I want you to hear these words, and I hope you can see Jesus in a new light, in a different light. At that time, there were some present. I'm reading from Luke 13. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifice. 
he asked them, this is Jesus who's talking, do you think because these Galileans suffered in this way that they were worse sinners than other Galileans? No, I tell you. Unless you repent, you will perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were worse offenders than those who are living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will perish as they did. Here, Jesus is talking about true tragedies that took place. The first tragedy that took place is about the Galileans and Pilate. The, Galilee, the region of Galilee is in the northern part of Israel, and Jerusalem is in the southern part of Israel. So these Galileans would have traveled all the way from north to south in order to worship God. They were coming down to worship God. These Galileans that Jesus is talking about were good people. They were good Jewish people. They had saved up money so that they can come down to Jerusalem, buy the animals that they needed for sacrifice, and sacrifice them at the altar and worship them. That is what they were called to do. And that is what they were doing. But Pilate, who is the Roman um, governor who is in charge of that region, he kills them. The killing is so brutal that he not only kills them, but he actually mingles their blood with the sacrifice of the animals that they were about to sacrifice in the temple. Pilate is making a public statement. He is making a mockery of the sacrificial system of the Jews. That is what Pilate is doing. See, if Jesus were a good politician at this point, and this story was told to Jesus, Jesus should have done this. He would have called a press conference and said something like this. Today, we stand with the people of Galilee for the loss of life. Today, we condemn the actions of this oppressive government that is taking away freedom of religion and desecrating the Jewish people. That's what Jesus was supposed to do, but Jesus does not say that. Jesus does not say those words. And then he talks about these other 18 people who were killed by a tower in Siloam. Siloam is near Jerusalem. We don't really know why this tower broke. It could be because of poor construction or because of a storm. But 18 people got killed because of this tower that fell on them. 18 innocent people died. But here, in response to these two tragedies, Jesus is blunt. I would say Jesus is extremely blunt. He challenges their misconception of tragedies. First, he notes, like, whenever there is a tragedy that takes place, we are quick to blame two things. One is, we, whenever there is a tragedy that happens, we say, hey, did this happen because this person was really a bad person? They deserved what they did? Or then, or we turn to God and say, maybe God is punishing this person. God is being punitive. No, Jesus doesn't say either of those things, but Jesus simply says, all who sin will die, period. Jesus discredits this theology that God somehow is being punitive towards us. But rather, but rather, he tells them, if you sin, you will die. 
Friends, this is a tough pill for us to swallow. We need to repent. If not, we will perish. If you're a sinner, Jesus is saying, you will die. See, this does not portray the Jesus that we have come to know and see. This does not portray the Jesus that we see in our own lives. But Jesus makes it simply clear. He says, repent. Everyone, male, female, young, old, child, grandparent, no matter who it is, everyone, if you have sinned, repent. Turn around. The word repentance means turn around. If you're walking towards in the direction of the sin, turn around. And then Jesus goes on to tell a parable about a landowner who was taking care of a fig tree. The man owned a fig tree, and every year for the past three years, he kept coming back to this fig tree so that this fig tree can produce fruit for him. He wanted to come back to this tree, and every time he came, there was no fruit. The owner was so frustrated that he wanted to tear down that tree, cut it down, and throw it in fire. Why would the owner go? If you really think about how the tree looked on the outside, why would you think the owner would go to this fig tree looking for fruit if it looked like it was dying? He wouldn't have bothered with that. But on the outside, this look, tree looked good, but was not bearing much fruit. It looked good on the outside for three years and did not produce any fruit. And the owner is saying, I'm going to cut this tree down and throw it in the fire. But the caretaker comes and advocates for its tree and says, just give it one more chance. It's going to bear much fruit. Here is the image that I would like us to see as we read the scripture. The scripture is calling us to repent. Jesus is calling us to repent, is to turn around, is to turn our direction away from sin. Friends, if you are filled with jealousy, turn around. If you are filled with anger, turn around. If you're filled with hatred, turn around. If you're filled with malice, turn around. See, when we turn around, we turn towards the cross. We are called to make a U-turn and walk towards the cross. That is what repentance is. And when we do say that we are turning around and we are walking towards the cross, we have to show that fruit. Much like the fig tree was supposed to show that fruit. Because we are given a chance. Are you bearing fruit today? You will you be bearing fruit in the days to come? Friends, during the season of Lent is when we pause as Christians all over the world. We pause and we look at our own Christian life. We take a temperature of our own Christian walk with God and we ask ourselves, how is our spiritual life doing? The big question that I would like to pose ourselves this morning is, have we moved more towards the cross since last year to where we are this year? Are we bearing fruit? Because Jesus is very clear about what happens when we don't 
bear fruit? Are you moving towards the cross? When we continue on this spiritual journey, we are moving towards the cross, meaning we are moving towards Jerusalem. Towards the end of this passage that was read to us, there were a bunch of Pharisees that came to Jesus and said, Jesus, leave Jerusalem. Do not head toward Jerusalem because Herod is about to kill you. And I love what Jesus says to Herod. Go tell the fox. I will continue to heal the sick, drive out the demons, and care for the least. That is what Jesus responds to the Pharisees. See, the Pharisees are the bad guys. See, all through the Gospels, we read that the Pharisees were there to trick Jesus. The Pharisees were the ones who were putting up roadblocks. In one passage, we actually read that the Pharisees are the ones who started a plot to kill Jesus. Now, they're the ones who are coming to Jesus, and they know that Herod is going to kill them. And he is telling them, get out of town. Get out of town. Get out of town is what the Pharisees are telling. But Jesus is driven by something more bigger than what the cross has to offer. Jesus is driven by his mission statement that we learned in Luke 4 several weeks ago. And this is what, we, this is what Jesus declared. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. And recovery of sight to the blind. To let the oppressed go free. To proclaim the ear of the Lord's favor. That is what dry, is driving Jesus. That is his mission statement. And he is going to do that no matter what. Even if it means walking towards Jerusalem. And hanging on a cross. Friends, this morning, I think the scripture is asking us a question. What is driving you? What is it that you are chasing after? What is your mission statement? Is it like Jesus to care for the poor? Those who are abandoned? To proclaim good news to the oppressed? What is driving you this day? What is driving you this day? Friends, I urge you to consider those questions. First, the call is to repent. And the second is to live out our mission statement. To care for the poor and the oppressed and those on the margins. Amen.